morning by running to God's Word. And so we'll be in 1 Timothy 4.12, just one verse today. And before we jump into that passage, I want to introduce you to Francis and Edith Schaefer. And this, this article was from gotquestions.org. So Francis Schaefer, 1912 to 1984, was a Presbyterian pastor and evangelical theologian from the United States. He's considered one of the most influential evangelicals of the 20th century, particularly known for his creation of Labrie Fellowship, a sort of retreat-seminary-community hybrid in Switzerland. Schaefer is touted as having a keen ability to engage secular culture while remaining fundamental in his biblical beliefs. He encouraged Christians to allow truth to influence every part of their lives and to engage the culture in both truth and love. Schaefer wrote, the local church or Christian group should be right, but it should also be beautiful. The local group should be the example of the supernatural, of the substantially healed relationship in this present life between men and men. Francis Schaefer was married to Edith, the daughter, the daughter of missionaries in China in 1935. He then attended seminary and was the first to be ordained in the Bible Presbyterian Church. In 1948, he and Edith moved to Switzerland to work as missionaries. They began opening their Alpine home to female students in the Alps on holiday and had religious conversations at night. More and more students began coming until hosting became full-time and Labrie, French for the shelter, was opened in 1955. Today, Labrie Fellowship has several locations around the world. Each location is unique, but the general focus of studying and working alongside one another in community remains the same. Francis Schaeffer saw that people viewed the world in two separate realities, the material and the spiritual, and Schaeffer affirmed the unity of truth. He held firmly to the inerrancy of Scripture, but he saw that while his fundamental, fundamentalist beliefs were right, they were not being adequately communicated to the world with love, and his own spiritual journey had become joyless. He saw that the real battle for men is the world of, of ideas. At Labrie, students of all types were welcomed. It was meant to be a community where religion and philosophy were discussed and where Christianity was lived out. Schaefer wanted to help people see the logical conclusions of their own thinking. He also wanted to offer a true Christian community. His interest was not solely in truth, but in how truth influences our daily lives. He did not want to merely know what was right, but to live it out. And there's much more that's been written on Francis and Edith Schaefer that you can check out in, a multiple, um, in multiple places and books. Um, but Francis and Edith Schaefer didn't just say they loved people. They showed that they loved people. They showed it by opening up their home. They showed it by inviting honest discussions about people's questions and doubts. And they showed it by holding tightly to the word of God, but not letting the truth keep them from extending the love of Christ. They opened up their homes and lives to those that were wrestling with God, and in so doing, showed them how much God actually loves them. And so if Heather and I can be half of what Francis and Edith and Shaver were in our own way, right, where we're planted as far as godliness goes, that will be a life well lived. But we all need examples of godliness to emulate in our lives. And so last week we started looking at blueprints for godliness that we see in 1 Timothy. And so if we can put that next slide up here. 
Yep, so last week we saw that we need to delight in God's good gifts. We saw that in verses 1 through 6. And then we need to discipline ourselves. We saw in verses 7 through 11. Today we're talking about this third one, that we need to display Christ-likeness. And so I want to start with what godliness is. And it talks about this last week, but I just want to reiterate it. Godliness is becoming more like Christ from the inside out. It's not pretending to be someone we're not. Rather, it's being open and honest about sin. It's being open and honest about trials and struggles we're going through and then confessing and dealing with sin and things in our lives. It's working hard to close the the gap between our public and private lives. And this isn't being perfect, but being continually changed, allowing God and his family to mold us. So um, our youth group, Forged, their youth ministry model is this. It's belong believe, become. So they they want students to come and feel like they really belong and then put their trust in Christ, to believe in Christ, but then to become more like Christ. And I love that Josh changed that within the last year from belong, believe, behave. He changed it from behave to become because the focus is is less on outward um, perfection or outward things but on the inside, actually growing and changing from the inside out, becoming more like Christ. And that's that's what it means to grow in godliness as well. It's it's actually being changed. Our heart is being changed, and then that flows out in our actions. So this this leads to our scripture, 1 Timothy 4.12. It says this, Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, the number one way to help people get over barriers to trusting you is to show that you're trustworthy, right? Actions speak louder than words. More is caught than taught. So it's like Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, you are a young pastor, so people are going to initially just not trust you. So work hard to prove to them that you're worthy of trust by your example, It's hard to argue with and not get behind someone who leads by example, regardless of their age or any other factor for that matter. So Paul's saying, hey, don't don't just argue with people and go, no, I am trustworthy. No, just just show them, hey, I am trustworthy and display it in your Christ-like character. Be an example in your speech, in the way you speak, in the way you act, in the way you love other people, in the way you trust God, have faith, in the way you in the way you interact with other people, in your purity. And so I think we have, you can go to the next slide, yeah, and we'll just leave this up the rest of the time. And so we would want to just break these apart. So the first one is to display Christ-likeness in the way that we speak, our speech. So this, this includes the things you say and the things you don't say. And Paul to Timothy is saying, hey, in the way that you communicate truth, especially the truth of God's word, you, you need to make sure your speech is right on. And if we look at the Bible, you look at Proverbs, you look at James, as well as many other places, and it gives us great wisdom on godly speech. But this morning, I've invited our elders, who are our primary leaders of our church, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, to share about their examples. So I asked them, who set a godly example for you in each of these areas? And so we're doing this because I want you to hear about real people 
that we've actually observed. So you, you can see this is possible. We can be great examples of godliness. You can be a great example of godliness. So for the first one on speech, uh, we'll have Tim Ellis come up and share. So during elder meeting, I didn't know Matt was going to make us come up front, so I'll, I'll have to be more cautious during elder meeting before I, I share something. But anyway, for speech, the, the person that came to mind for me was Jeff Dodge. Uh, many of you may know Jeff, but he currently is a pastor at Veritas in Iowa City. Uh, but when he was uh, on staff as a pastor at Cornerstone Church, I got to know him fairly well. And I uh, always admired how Jeff talked about people. He always talked about them in the best possible light, speaking very positively about them, and you knew that when maybe he was talking about you when you were there, he would talk about you in a, in a very positive light, and I, I was always impressed uh, by that. I remember one sermon he said he wouldn't let his kids use the word hate. You know, they couldn't hate Brussels sprouts or hate spinach. Uh, they could dislike them, but hate was a strong word, so uh, they would learn to use the word hate to hate sin, to hate evil, to hate the things that God hates. Uh, the word awesome, you know, the word awesome should be reserved for sunsets and creation and things that re are really God-inspiring, uh, not, you know, not a, a football play by the Kansas City Chiefs or, or, or just as an example. But uh, anyway, Jeff set a great example for me uh, to use godly and edifying speech. Thanks, Tim. That was awesome. couldn't resist. Um, no, that's good. And so I know Jeff as well. Jeff actually taught half of my classes um, when I took seminary, and I can attest to all of that and more. Um, great guy to look up to in the way that he speaks. So the next one is to display Christ-likeness in the way you act, or as it says here, conduct in the scripture. So this is talking about handling yourself appropriately in each given situation. And we saw a few weeks ago in 1 Timothy the qualifications for elders and for deacons, for leaders in the church, almost all of them have to do with this, with conduct. And so for the next one, we've got Dave Niebel is going to come up and share an example of someone displaying uh, Christ-likeness in their conduct. Well, for me, when Matt asked this question, the person that came to mind was a youth director that uh, was in the church where I grew up. Uh, his name was John Herdman, and he was just in his 20s, but he always had a knack for being appropriate in whatever situation he was in. Uh, Romans 12 talks about weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And especially in the youth group environment, it's easy to be inappropriate on the rejoicing side, to get out of hand and get out of control. But he was always appropriate in those situations, uh, whether it was at a, a funeral or whether it was at a youth activity uh, or whether it was uh, at a church, he was always appropriate in the way that he interacted with people, the way he conducted himself. And it was not just with the, the people that he was appropriate, it was the, his behavior in the situations as well. So he could go to a youth activity on, on a Saturday and be competitive and, and be appropriate in that setting. He was not too good to get, to get dirty. He could work hard with his hands. Although growing up on the farm, I didn't think he was particularly skilled at working very good with his hands. 
Uh, but uh, that was my opinion as a teenager, I guess. But then he could show up at church on Sunday and be very appropriate in that setting as well. And so uh, in Romans 12, later on, it says, uh, after rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, it talks about give thought to do what is honorable. And it was, it was a really good example for me as a teenager to see a, a leader who clearly gave thought to do what was honorable in the different situations. And, and many times as an adult, I've, I've thought about that. Uh, I've been encouraged by that. At times, I've been convicted by it because uh, the importance of being honorable, giving thought to being honorable, and being appropriate, as Matt said, uh, in each situation. So. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Dave. So the next one, love. Display Christ-likeness in the way you love other people. Love is sacrificial, unselfish care for someone else. It's, it's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's to be patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. Not self-seeking or irritable. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So don't just think, you know, love song. Think sacrifice. Think being super unselfish, willing to do something difficult to care for someone else. So uh, Kevin Lambert is going to come up and, oh, there he is, is going to come up and share an example of that for us. So when uh, Matt talked at the elder meeting the other day about a person who uh, affected us in all these ways. Uh, pastor John Hembry uh, was a pastor at the Methodist Church in Dayton, and he married Sarah and me, and uh, he showed all these qualities. He was just a wonderful person. I always called him a relatable pastor because he, um, he was a recovering alcoholic. He was easy to talk to, and he would preach on the word every week, and he was, easy, he was easy for people to relate to. He had a lot of bad stuff early in his life. So when he became a Christian, the only way he got over his alcoholism is through Jesus. So he was just a great role model. And so coming home from the elder meeting, I was trying to tie it to thinking about what story could I relate. And Sarah helped me remember a story. Pastor, he passed away two years ago in June. And two weeks before he passed, he was in hospice. And a friend of mine, Preston, went to see him and pray for him. And they talked for a little bit. And Preston says, I'm here to pray for you. And pastor says, you don't have to pray for me. I, I know where I'm going. I'm excited. I want to pray for you because you're going through a lot of stress in your life. And here's a guy that's literally on his deathbed. And he's still praying for people. And just a warm person, so he, he kind of fits all these characters, but they stuck me under love, so it's trying to tie it in, so thank you. It's, it's interesting, Kevin got a clap, but not the other two. Um, just throwing it out there. Uh, faith. Displaying Christ-likeness in the way you trust God. So trusting God no matter what. Faithfulness to God no matter what. 
So Randy Shaver is going to come up and share a, a great example of someone who trusts the Lord no matter what, no matter what's going on around them. Thanks, Matt. Um, I wanted to be like Matt, so I got my notes up here. But I'm going to do something different from the other guys. So I'm going to go through some characteristics. And if you think you know the person, because this person I'm talking about is in this church, I want you to yell out the name. But before I do that, I chose faith, and the reason was a couple of reasons. One is uh, trusting God is everything. I mean, <laughs> you, you have to have that to move on. Uh, faith in Christ is our answer to a fallen world changing our hearts and giving eternal life. Um, in Matthew 25, I often think about and desire the expression, well done, good, and faithful servant. Um, okay, so who is this person? Again, yell it out if you think you know. Uh, first of all, this person is one of many in this church that God could have placed on my heart. I could only select one, and my Lord put on my heart a specific name. Two, this person, like others, saw difficult times but faithfully turned to the Almighty God. Three, this person went beyond just responding. This person demonstrates their faith daily. All right, some examples. As commanded in Matthew 8, 28, this person faithfully executes a great commission. This person's faith drives what, what else they do and who they are. Aside from the great commission, this person demonstrates their faith in their financial giving. In fact, it was so important to this person that the person asked me to help with their budgeting process so they could give generously to the church. Any, any thoughts yet? Any names? All right. This person is not embarrassed about their faith. An example is having their arms up in the air every Sunday morning, praising and worshiping the, worshiping the one who's done everything for this person, P.S., and for us. Who is this person? I am proud to call Robert. Uh, not only my friend, but more importantly, my brother in Christ. Robert, thank you for being your faithful leadership. It's an inspiration to us all. Okay, uh, there was another thing Matt asked me to do, or we talked about and decided to do. So you're probably hearing about all these storms, in particular Hawaii that's happened in Hawaii and specifically Lahaina. Also, uh, right now there's a storm potentially going into uh, California, Southern California. Um, and you're probably wondering, what is our approach to responding to some of these? And I just wanted to share kind of what we've been doing. Since the spring or June, remember when we were going to Fort Lauderdale, there were 10 of us, uh, and couldn't go because they finished up the work there, they'd be in Samaritan's Purse. We have been monitoring each of these storms and making a decision to either try to go or not to go. The relationship is with Samaritan's Purse, and we chose them because we really, their theology, their approach is much more like us, uh, and more important, and as important, not more importantly, and, and important also is the fact that it's very efficient. They actually provide all of the lodging, all the food. We basically show up, do the work, and go home. So anyway, that's what we, we've been looking at. Some of you know we took a small team down to uh, Oklahoma about a month ago. Um, by the way, in Hawaii, I just wanted to share. So far, they've got 114 people declared dead and another 1,000 missing and probably presumed to be dead. Um, so in monitoring the site with Hawaii specifically, uh, I just learned that they are, 
They have had people over there doing assessments because that's the first thing Samaritan's Purse does. They go in and determine if there's the need and if they can provide support to make that need work, uh, to support that need. And they're there right now doing that assessment. Uh, they actually, let me read here from the site. Uh, they actually, uh, Samaritan's Purse airlifted a volunteer team of 17 tons and t 17 tons of emergency supplies to Hawaii earlier this week. They provided cooking and hygiene kits, solar lights, home water filtration systems, plastic tarp, and other critical items. As well, they sent tools and equipment to help the Samaritan's Purse volunteers sift through ashes to recover valuables and cherish mementos. Um, they're right now, they've done assessment. They're going to definitely get volunteer teams. So um, we'll look at this as soon as I've also got a, I got a contact at Samaritan's Purse. And so he will contact me as soon as he knows uh, what they're going to do in terms of when they want uh, uh, some volunteers. Part of the problem is just the logistics. You know, there was, at least for a while, they couldn't get in and out of Hawaii, out of Maui, and the roads and whatnot. So, and also, right now, they're still trying to, unfortunately, find these 1,000 people and to try to go into houses. You can imagine what that would be like. So, um, anyway, he's going to let me know when that happens. Um, we'll look at it, make a decision. We'll do the same thing with California, something, but uh, that, that storm is just in the makes. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but I think what I wanted to tell you is that think about it and pray about it if this is something you're interested in doing. I don't know when, what, I can't tell you that at this point. I would assume if we do go to Hawaii, we'll be there for at least a week uh, because it's a long way to go to be there for two or three days. But the reality, we'll probably be there for a week. But I ask you to pray about it, think about it, and if you have any interest, like I said, I don't know. As soon as I know more, I will share. Uh, but if you have any interest, please reach out to me, and we'll see where the Lord takes us. Hopefully, uh, he drives the train here and tells us, us what, or lets us know what we want to do, when and where. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Yeah, and great opportunity to step out in faith there as well so it all ties in it's good thanks randy so purity um most of us think of like sexual purity and that's definitely part of this but the word is actually more all-encompassing it just means to be free from all impurity free from sin so it's like pure water you know nothing contaminating it um, straight h2o nothing else going on in that water so um, given the command here is to a young pastor, Timothy, to set a good example. And then we see in a couple of verses later in 5 verse 2, he uses the same word purity in relation to other women within the church. Um, I want to look at it from this lens, purity being displaying Christ-likeness in the way we interact with others. So it isn't simply simply like not being inappropriate. It's It's acting in a way that is appropriate with other brothers and sisters, regardless of their gender, that sort of thing. Um, so I wanted to share an example um, from my life. So there was a gal um, named Professor Tally when I was at Northwestern in St. Paul. And if you're a young person and trying to figure out what, where to go and what to do with your life and that sort of thing, easily one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was going to Northwestern in St. Paul. And I don't say that lightly. But anyway, Professor Tally was just one of the many reasons I loved it there. But um, she taught a class on relationships um, and some other sensitive topics and um, included going through Song of Solomon. If you've read that, you could understand how that could be 
uh, strange, especially from a female teacher, professor with males, but she treated both men and women in the class with dignity and respect and maintained um, just, she was just really professional, but yet um, very open as well and maintained proper boundaries um, with what she talked about, especially with males, yet she made herself available uh, in a public setting to come talk to her about anything, and I just appreciated her example in my life. Um, I also wanted to share um, an example from church history, a gal named Elizabeth Elliot, and there's been a lot that she's written herself and a lot put out on her, but I wanted to share a little blurb from that John Piper wrote about Elizabeth Elliot. said her first husband, Jim Elliot, was one of the five missionaries speared to death by the Harani Indians in Ecuador in 1956. Elizabeth immortalized that moment in mission history with three books, Through Gates of Splendor, Shadow of the Almighty, and The Savage, My Kinsman, and established her voice for the cause of Christian missions and Christian womanhood and Christian purity in more than 20 other books and 40 years of hard-hitting conference speaking. She was not just gutsy with her words. Their daughter was 10 months old when Jim was killed, and Elizabeth stayed on and worked at first with the but then, astonishing, astonishingly, for two years with the very tribe that had speared her husband. So can you imagine that? Your spouse gets speared, and then you go to that very tribe and share Jesus with them, with a 10-month-old. I mean, can, can you imagine that? Can you, I mean, she is not just an example of how to interact with others. She is an example of all of these things to us. Elizabeth Elliot. So here's all of these stories, right? You're hearing about all of these examples, all of these people. So what do we do with it? I would just say this. Be a youth leader. And I'm not saying actually be a youth leader. God calls you to that, works out with Josh, that sort of thing. Great, be a youth leader. But it hit me recently as my uh, oldest, Joy, enters middle school, how influential youth leaders are. I'm saying to joy, hey, follow Jesus like this person does, and follow Jesus like that person does. And if you actually are a youth leader, you should really feel the weight of that, by the way. Um, but the point is be someone that someone else in our church would have no reservations saying to their kids, hey, follow Jesus like they do. So be a youth leader. Now, growth in godliness or growth in Christlikeness is is a process. So I just, I want to give you permission to just give yourself grace for the process. And as you look at this list, I just, I just want you to just pick one this morning. Whether it's your speech or your actions or loving others or trusting God or how you interact with others, purity. So I just want to stop for a minute and let's just, let's just bow our head and close our eyes. And I want you I want you to just pick one of these. And you can look up if you need to see this list again. But just take a minute and talk to God and go, God, which, which one would you have me work on? And what's, what's a next step I could take towards growing in this area of Christ-likeness? So let's just talk to God for a second.
Okay, and I encourage you just to continue to talk to God about that. God, what would you, how would you have me work on this? And he'll walk alongside you in that. And as the Holy Spirit, God himself, changes you from the inside out through the years, you will become a more godly man or woman full of more and more of Christ's joy, wisdom, and love. So I want to end like this. I want to end with just an incredibly inspiring story, an incredible example. Um, George Mueller, and this is from Guideposts. Night was falling over the harbor of Bristol, England, and in the orphanage founded by George Mueller and his wife, the children were getting ready for bed. George was working in his study when his wife arrived with alarming news. We're out of milk, she said. There isn't enough for the morning oatmeal. And George laid aside his pen. This wasn't the first time that money needed to buy food and other supplies was tight. The Mueller's took in their first group of 30 girls in 1836, and their orphanage now housed over 100. From the first, George remained resolved never to ask for funds from people or to borrow money. He went to God alone for every need, trusting wholly in the Lord's faithfulness and provision. The pastor rose from his desk and reached for his wife's hand. Mary, he said, let us pray. And two orphanage employees joined them, and together they made their humble yet Necessary request to God. Tiny, helpless mouths were depending on them for sustenance. And someone knocked on the door. Mary hurried to answer, returning to the study. A moment later, she handed her husband an envelope. It's a letter, George. Hurry up and open it. Enclosed was a sum of money, more than enough for the milk. And within minutes, two more letters arrived with money and pledges of support. This immediate and abundant response to prayer had become a typical experience for Mueller. And George raised each and every penny for his wonderful ministry on his knees through unceasing, persistent, thankful prayer and an unwavering faith in God. Let's have a faith like George Mueller. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you walk alongside us. And so I pray that you would you would just show us ways that you want us to grow in our example of godliness. And, um, we thank you that you're so kind and you're so patient with us. And so just pray that as we continue to walk with you, you would be the one that guides us and leads us. Um, and Lord, I thank you for all these examples we heard today. And I pray that each person in here one day um, would be an example that other people are talking about as well. And that would happen by by your grace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.